where you're going to read this new book you got from Miss Krista called The Velveteen Rabbit. No, this one I think is from Nana. I brought it from my house. I think you got it from Velveteen Nana. Velveteen Rabbit. The Velveteen Rabbit. Once upon a time, there was a Velveteen Rabbit, and he was nearly perfect. He had smooth spotted fur, real thread whiskers, and his ears were lined with the softest pink sateen. On one Christmas morning, he was sticking out of the top of a boy's stocking, just waiting to be found. For a long time after Christmas, the Velveteen Rabbit lived in a toy chest in the nursery with many other toys. The other toys were not very nice, and the mechanical toys were particularly unfriendly. They were always bragging about this and that and never gave a second thought or a kind word to the rabbit. The rabbit felt very unloved. The only toy that was nice to him at all was the rocking horse. The rocking horse had been in the nursery longer than any of the other toys. He was very wise. What is real? asked the rabbit one day. Real is something that happens to you, answered the rocking horse. When a child loves you, not just to play with, but really loves you, you become real. The rabbit thought for a moment. Are you real? The rocking horse smiled. I am. When you become real, you can't become unreal again. It lasts forever. The rabbit thought how nice it would be to be real. One night, something wonderful happened. The boy picked up the rabbit and took him to bed with him. From then on, the rabbit looked forward to bedtime. The boy would tell him stories, and together they would play games. Of course, sometimes the boy hugged the rabbit very tightly, and other times the rabbit ended up so far under the pillow that he could hardly breathe. But most nights, he and the boy snuggled together all night long. Spring came, and wherever the boy went, the rabbit did too. They spent lots of time outside. One evening, the boy went in for dinner and left the rabbit in the garden. But when it came time to go to sleep that night, the boy insisted that his mother go out to the garden to find the rabbit. All that fuss for a silly toy rabbit, said the boy's mother. And she wiped the dirt from the rabbit's fur. He's not a toy, answered the boy, grabbing for the rabbit. He's real. When the rabbit heard that, he knew what the rocking horse said was true. At last, he was real. The boy had said it. One day that summer, the boy went off on his own while the rabbit waited for him in the grass. Suddenly, the rabbit saw two strange creatures. They were rabbits like him, but somehow they looked different. Why don't you run and play with us? One asked. I don't feel like it, answered the rabbit. But all the while, the rabbit did want to jump and play like the other rabbits. One of them came close and sniffed the rabbit. He doesn't smell right. He doesn't even have hind legs. He's all one piece, exclaimed the rabbit. He isn't real. I am real, the rabbit shouted. The boy said so. Just then there came footsteps. The two strange rabbits disappeared. Come back, called the rabbit. I know I am real. The rabbit became more and more worn. He didn't mind, though. The rabbit knew that because the boy had made him real, it didn't matter how he looked. But one horrible day, the boy became very sick. Lots of doctors came and went in the boy's room, but they never noticed the rabbit, and the rabbit was glad. He knew the boy needed him. After a long time, the boy was better, but the germs that had made him sick were everywhere. All the toys had to be thrown away. Out went the mechanical toys, the books, and the blocks. Out went the rabbit. The rabbit found himself 
at the top of a sack of discarded toys with nothing to do but sit and think. He thought about the boy, and then he thought about what the rocking horse had told him. What was the point of being real if it all ended like this? At that moment, he began to cry. But then a strange thing happened. Where the rabbit's tears had fallen, a flower grew out of the ground. It was so beautiful that the rabbit just sat and stared. Suddenly, the flower blossom opened and a fairy appeared. The fairy came close to the rabbit. Little rabbit, she said, I am the nursery magic fairy. I take care of all the playthings that the children have loved. When the children don't need them anymore, I take them away with me and make them real. Wasn't I real before, asked the rabbit. You were real to the boy because he loved you, the fairy said, but now you'll be real to everyone. She flew them to a field where many royal rabbits danced and played. I've brought you new playmates, said the fairy. You must teach him all he needs to know. The rabbit watched the other rabbits. He didn't want anyone to know that he was made all in one piece. The fairy had changed him completely, but he didn't know it. Then something tickled his nose, and he raised his hind leg to scratch it. And he discovered that he had hind legs. He leapt high in the air, and he gave a whoop of joy. The seasons passed. In the spring, the boy was playing out in the yard when two rabbits crept out and peeped at him. One looked familiar. He's just like my old rabbit that I lost when I was sick, the boy thought. But he never knew that it was really his own rabbit who had come back to see the child who had first helped him to be real. The end that was written by Marjorie Williams, illustrated by Lisa McHugh, adapted by Christine Lombardi. Now the dog. Now the dog one? <laughs> Bunny Roo, I Love You. Written by Melissa Marr and illustrated by Tegan White. When I met you, you were small and trembling. And I thought you might be a little bunny. I held you close. So you were warm. <clears throat> when I tried to put you down, you kicked and squirmed, and I thought you might be a lost kangaroo. <laughs> I tucked you in my pouch so you would feel safe. Then one day you lifted your head and looked around, and I thought you might be a curious lizard. I brought you to a nice warm patch of sunlight so you could see the world. Then you opened your mouth and howled, and I thought you might be a lonely wolf. <laughs> Funny. I ran to my house and made you a cozy den so you had a home. And they like foxes. Those are like foxes or wolves, right? Mm -hmm. Then you whimpered and meowed, and I thought you might be a thirsty kitten. <laughs> I offered you some milk so you would not be hungry. <laughs> then you yawned and flopped, and I thought you might be a tired piggy. <laughs> that piggy's messy, isn't it? I gave you a bath so you would be calm. Oops, we can't turn the page. Then you smiled, and I knew. <gasps> what is it, girls? A baby. A baby. You are not a bunny, roo, lizard, wolf, kitten, piggy. You are my baby. It's a tiny one. It's a tiny baby, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That's a good short story. Oh, gal, you can push the red. 
I told you I'd push the blue. Oh, there's no blue. You want to push the red, Gloria? Push the red. No, I want to push the Okay, the next book we're reading, girls, is Dr. Dan the Bandage Man by Helen Gaspard. Pictures by Corinne. Oh, Malvern. We know that name. A Golden Book, New York. And this was written in 1950. That was when Gigi and Papa were 10 years old. Dan is a busy fellow. He's always on the go. But one day, in a big backyard cowboy fight, he fell and scratched his finger on his make-believe gun. What does make-believe mean, girls? Pretend. Pretend. Very good. And what do you think that big cowboy did? He cried. <laughs> Dan cried, and he ran into the house to his mother. Now, his mother was always glad to see Dan, but a cowboy crying? How could that be? Why, that's nothing to cry over, Mother said when she saw the bright red spot. We'll wash it clean with soap and water and bandage it up, and it will be better than new. And quick as a wink, it was. Back went Dan to the cowboy fight, and all the boys gathered around to see his new clean bandage, too. Next day, Dan hitched up Spotty his pup to take his sister Carly's doll for a ride. But Spotty saw a cat he wanted to chase, and he forgot all about that doll. Lickety-split, Spotty started off. What's he doing? Gonna run away fast, right? <laughs> the wagon tipped over. The doll tumbled out, and Carly started to cry. My baby hurt herself! Because the doll had a bump on her head. This is nothing to cry over, said Brother Dan. I know just what to do. So he led Spotty and Carly into the house, and he carried the hurt little doll himself with a rather bad bump on her head. We'll wash it clean, said Dan, and he did. We'll bandage it up, and he did that too. Dan opened the wrapper. He picked the bandage out and held the two stiff pieces, and zip, that bandage was on the doll's head. Bandage boxes, band-aid boxes used to be metal like that. Have a lid that lifts open like that. And then when you opened each bandage, there was a little string. And you pulled the string down the side and it opened the wrapper. It was really fun. Made me like that a lot, but that was a long time ago. There, smiled Dan. She's better than new. Now, said Carly, I want one too. Are you hurt? asked Dan. I don't know, Carly said, looking for a scratch. And sure enough, she found one. It was a very tiny scratch and rather old, but it was a scratch just the same. Dan washed it clean and bandaged it up. Thank you, said Carly. It's better than new. Woof, said Spotty and held up his paw. Now we can know one of the golden ones. Another little golden book? Yeah, and then we'll stop reading the golden books. Okay, turn your apple around, honey, so you don't eat the seeds. Dan laughed. I guess you must want a bandage, too. So he put one on Spotty's paw. You gotta let it go. Next day, Daddy was home from work. He went out to mow the lawn. Oh, there's that old fashioned lawnmower we talked about. And what do you think? He cut his finger on a slippery, sharp lawn blade mower. 
Let me fix you up, Dad, said Dan. I know what to do. We'll wash your finger clean and bandage it up, and it will be better than new. Dad looked surprised, and he followed Dan, and soon Dad wore a bandage, too. You're a handy fellow to have around, said Dad, and he shook Dan's hand. Remember Mimi was teaching you about shaking hands? I have a new name for you. We'll call you Dr. Dan the Bandage Man. And so they do to this day. And so we will too. And then you can see the puppy dog with the bandage on his ear and the doll with the bandage on her head. And that was, like Gloria told us, a little golden book. Classic. Mm -hmm. This is another little golden book called Heidi, and this Heidi is a very old story, adapted from the original story by Johanna Spiri, I think she's pronounced her name, pictures by Corinne Malvern, I think that was the same lady that did the last book. A Golden Book, New York, Racine, Wisconsin, also. And this is from 1954, okay, by Western Publishing Company. On top of a mountain in the Swiss Alps, Heidi lived with her grandfather. Their home was a hut overlooking the valley, and behind it stood three... He's going to die because he's old. He's going to die? Maybe. We'll see. Listen to the story. Their home was a hut overlooking the valley, and behind it stood three old fir trees. Heidi loved to hear the wind rushing and roaring in their long, thick branches. Heidi had a happy life. Every day in the summer, she went up the mountain with Peter, the young goat herd. She knew the names of all the flowers. Goat herd. That's right. And she was friends with all... Yeah, yodele, yodele, hee-hoo. Right, but let's listen. And all the goats in Peter's... She was friends... Wait. She knew all the names of the flowers, and she was friends with all the goats in Peter's herd. In the wintertime, Heidi stayed inside at home with Grandfather and watched him carve round wooden spoons or hammer together chairs or tables. What was he called? What was his job, girls? He was a carpenter. carpenter. Sometimes Peter struggled up the snowy mountain path to call for Heidi and took her down to visit his mother and his blind grandmother. In the older books, girls, when it says call for, that means like go to the house. It doesn't mean call on the phone. It means go to visit. One day, Heidi's aunt came to take her to school. So off went Heidi to Frankfurt far away. Frankfurt's in a country called Germany. Heidi soon made friends in Frankfurt. There was the good old doctor who came to see Heidi's cousin, Clara, and who never left without saying a kind word to Heidi. There was Clara's grandmother who taught Heidi to read. And of course, there was Clara herself, pretty and sweet, but so pale and frail and unable to walk or stand. Heidi told her over and over again about grandfather and Peter and the merry goats and the great fir trees. Did you want to say something, honey? Oh, if only you could go there, Heidi would say sadly. You'd see, you would grow well and learn to walk there. Oh, if only we were home. Poor Heidi, she was so homesick for her mountains with the green valley spreading below. Here in Frankfurt, even from the golden steeple of the church, which she visited one day, as far as her eyes reached, she could only see the gray stone houses of the city. Many weeks went by and every day Heidi grew paler and more homesick. 
The kind old doctor who came to see Clara spoke gravely to Mr. Sesman, Clara's father. Heidi has grown thin and pale with homesickness. You must send her home at once or she will be very ill, he said. The very next day, Heidi's bag was packed so she could go back to the mountain she loved. Heidi and Clara cried when they had to leave each other. But just wait, Heidi said. You will come to visit us soon and then you will see how strong Excuse me, then you will see how beautiful it is, and you will get well and strong up in the mountains. And then it was not long before Heidi was running up the path she knew so well up to Grandfather's hut. Before Grandfather had seen her coming, she had thrown her arms around his neck. Grandfather, she cried, Grandfather, I am home and I will never leave again. Heidi had to run out to see the goats, to hear the wind in the fir trees. She had to hurry down the mountain path to Peter's grandmother, who wept with joy to find that Heidi could read to her now. And every day, at least six times a day, she said to her grandfather, We must bring Clara up here. Here Clara will get well and strong. Heidi had her way at last, and one day, a little procession. You know what a procession is, girls? No. It's like a parade. You know what a parade is? When they have like a celebration in the street? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Clara well wrapped in shawls and blankets was being carried up in a chair there she is carried up her father carrying more warm shawls followed behind I'm going to stay with you Clara told Heidi her soft blue eyes shining I'm going to stay with you and grandfather and Peter and the goats for four whole weeks then father will come back for me Heidi could do nothing but hop for joy <clears throat> Every day after that, Grandfather carried Clara up where Peter kept his goats. He put her down on the warm, sweet grass, and then Heidi would pick flowers for her friend or sit beside her to tell her the names of all the different goats. Every day, Clara drank great bowlfuls of sweet goat, goat milk. This is so good, she sighed, and I am so hungry. At home, I never like to eat. It's healthy mountain air, smiled Grandfather. By the time Mr. Sesamon came to call for his little girl, remember what that means to call for her? To like come visit her and take her home? Mm -hmm. Instead of a pale invalid, he found a tall, smiling, rosy-cheeked Clara who came walking toward him on Heidi's arm. Mr. Sesamon ran up and clasped her in his arms. How is this possible? He cried. How is this possible? And Heidi kept dancing around them both, singing happily. I knew the mountains would make you well. I knew they would make you well. The end. This book is called Teach Us, Amelia Bedelia by Peggy Parrish. Pictures by Lynn Sweat or Sweet. I'm not sure. No, Sweat. Maybe. Sweet. 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 It looks like sometimes last names are tricky. Names are tricky. The telephone was ringing. I'm coming. I'm coming, said Amelia Bedelia. She answered the telephone. Mrs. Rogers, she said. Where are you? I'm at the airport in Pinewood, said Mrs. Rogers. You didn't tell me you were going away, said Amelia Bedelia. I'm not, said Mrs. Rogers. I'm meeting the new teacher, but her plane is late. That's too bad, said Amelia Bedelia. The telephone at the school is out of order, Mrs. Rogers went on. Please go to Mr. Carter's office at the school. Tell him what I said. I'll go right now, said Amelia Bedelia. Amelia Bedelia got her things. She walked to school. Where is Mr. Carter's office, she asked. The first door, said a child. 
Amelia Bedelia walked in. Mrs. Rogers tried to call you, she said, but your telephone is out of order. I know, said Mr. Carter, but thank goodness you're here. The children are going wild. Miss Lane left a list for today. I'll take you to the room. He handed Amelia Bedelia the list. Follow me, he said. They went down the hall. Mr. Carter opened a door. Children were all over the place. All right, said Mr. Carter. Quiet, this is your new teacher. Me? Teach? said Amelia Bedelia. But Mr. Carter was gone. She's not a teacher usually. What is she usually? You know? She's called a maid. She helps cook and clean and stuff. She looked at the children. They looked at her. I'm Amelia Bedelia, she said. The children giggled. You're nice, said Amelia Bedelia. I do like happy children, but we have a lot to do. She held up the list. We must do what this says, she said. Now, what's first? Amelia Bedelia read. Call the roll. She looked puzzled. Call the roll. What roll, she said. Does anyone have a roll? I have, said Peter. Do get it, said Amelia Bedelia. Peter opened his lunchbox. Here it is, he said. Now I have to call it, said Amelia Bedelia. Roll. Hey, roll. All right. All right. That takes care of that. The children roared. See how they're laughing? That means they laughed a lot. Amelia Bedelia read her list. Land sakes, she said. There's the roll. There's three boys and two girls. Calling the roll means like this. If you said Jack, and then Jack raised his hand. And you said Luke, and Luke raised his hand. And you said Heath, and Heath raised his hand. So you would see who was there. It wasn't. It doesn't mean yelling at the, at the muffin. So she gets confused a lot. See, Amelia Bedelia read her list. Land sakes, she said. Listen to this. Sing a song. I never was much of a hand at singing, but it says sing a song, so I'll sing. And she did. More, more, shouted the children. No, said Amelia Bedelia. It said a song. I did just that. Ah, said the children. Now it's reading time, said Amelia Bedelia. I know about that. I read my cookbook. It tells me just what to do. She held up a book. She said, is this the right one? Yes, said Amanda. Amelia Bedelia opened the book. I declare, she said, this is a good one. Are you ready? Yes, said the children. All right, said Amelia Bedelia. It says, run, run, run. The children just sat. Amelia Bedelia clapped her hands. Run, she said, run, run, run. And Amelia Bedelia ran. The children ran after her. Around the room, through the halls, and around the block they ran. Finally, they ran back into the room. They weren't supposed to run. They were supposed to listen to the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amelia Bedelia plopped on her chair. That takes care of run, 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 she said. Your book plumb tired me out. Let's see what's next. I hope we don't have to run to do it. She looked at the list. She said, it's science time. Each of you should plant a bulb. Do you know about that? Yes, said Tim. We brought our pots. Where are the bulbs, said Amelia Bedelia. In the top closet, said Rebecca. Miss Lane said so. Amelia Bedelia looked and looked. Nothing here but some dried up onions, she said. You know what those really are, girls? Bulbs. They're bulbs, you're right. But she's looking for what? Light bulbs. Light bulbs, you know all about it. You all go outside, put some soil in your pots, and I'll go buy some bulbs. Amelia Bedelia went to the store, and she hurried back. The children were waiting. Here's a bulb for you, and you, and you, said Amelia Bedelia. She gave everyone a bulb. The children looked surprised, and they started giggling. She gave them light bulbs, and they were supposed to have flower bulbs. Yeah. But they planted those bulbs. They put them in pots on the windowsill. Is that what you do with light bulbs? Put them in pots like that? No. No. That's so silly. They do look right pretty, said Amelia Bedelia. And I learned something new. I didn't know you could plant bulbs. 
Suddenly a bell rang. What's that for? said Amelia Bedelia. Free time, yelled the children. Good, said Amelia Bedelia. The children ran outside. Amelia Bedelia sat down to rest. Then free time ended. Back came the children. It's quiet time now, said Amelia Bedelia. You're supposed to read stories. Each child chose a book. All was quiet. Why aren't you reading, said Amelia Bedelia. We are, said Ed. I don't hear you, said Amelia Bedelia. The children looked at Amelia Bedelia. Then they looked at each other. And Amelia Bedelia heard them all all right. My, I'll be glad when quiet time is over, she said. My ears hurt, because she told them all to read, and they all read different stories all at once. And it sounded pretty crazy to her. Because they were really supposed to read it quietly in their heads. Like when you look at books and read them. Or you don't quite read yet, but you're getting good at looking at them. Huh? But they shouted. Oh, they shouted. I see. Jeff said, art comes next. That's fun. Amelia Bidet looked at her list. You're right, she said. You must paint pictures now. The children got sheets of art paper. What are you doing, said Amelia Bidea. We're going to paint pictures, said Bud. But how can you, said Amelia Bidea. There's no picture there to paint. We'll make pictures, said Mary. Oh, no, said Amelia Bedelia. This says to paint pictures. Can't paint a picture without a picture to paint. Better find one for yourselves. The children ran around the room. Not a picture was left on the wall, but all the children were painting. Uh-oh. Do you understand what they did, girls? Pictures on the wall. Yeah, like if you would take down that Peter Rabbit picture that Mommy hung up there so nicely, and then you'd paint it. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to paint your own picture, but she's having them paint on top of pictures that were already on the walls. See, they messed them up. Soon the pictures were back on the wall. They sure look different, said Steve. Yes, said Amelia Bedelia. Mr. Carter will be surprised. The children shook their heads. He sure will, said Janet. What's next, said Jamie. Our play, said Rebecca. We have to practice our play. Practice play, said Amelia Bedelia. You mean children have to practice play? Sure, school sure has changed since I went. All right, out you go. But Amelia Bedelia, said the children. No buts, said Amelia Bedelia. Let's go, start playing. Practice that jumping rope some more, said Amelia Bedelia. I can do I can do better than that. Show us, said Janet, and Amelia Bedelia did. I can run faster than that, said Amelia Bedelia. Show us, said Steve, and so Amelia Bedelia did. That's fine, she said. You've practiced long enough. Let's go inside. Let me see what's next, said Amelia Bedelia. Here are some problems for you. Yuck, said the children. Jenny, get your apples, said Amelia Bedelia. What apples, said Jenny? Amelia Bedelia looked puzzled. She said, but it says Jenny has four apples. Paul takes away two. Oops, said Amelia Bedelia. I don't think I was supposed to tell you that part. She read the other problems. These all have apples in them, she said. Does anybody have apples? The children shook their heads. Then Amelia Bedelia had an idea. Let's go to my house, she said. We have lots of apples. Yes, shouted the children. We better leave a note, said Amelia Bedelia. She went to the blackboard and wrote, We are at the Rogers house. Then off they went to the Rogers backyard. Amelia Bedelia got the apples. She called some children. There's a problem for each of you, she said. You all have apples. Someone is going to try to take them away. Are you going to let them? No, shouted the children. Amelia Bedelia went to the other children. You're supposed to take away some of their apples, she said. She told each child whom to take from. Can you do that, she said. Sure, said the children. All right, everybody, said Amelia Bedelia. Go. Children started after each other. They ran all over the yard. Amelia Bedelia turned and went in the kitchen. She put some of this and a lot of that into a big pot. She put the the pot on the stove. There, she said. I'll surprise them. Amelia Bedelia started out. Just then, Mr. Rogers started in. What is all of this, said Mr. Rogers? What are those children doing? Math, said Amelia Bedelia. 
Math, said Mr. Rogers. Come see, said Amelia Bedelia. <clears throat> they went out. That's not fair, Steve, yelled Janet. You hid your apples. I can't take any. That's not fair, Judy, shouted Andy. You took away all my apples. What in tarnation are they doing, said Mr. Rogers. Amelia Bedelia read him the problems. That sounds like fun. I'm going to help them, he said. He joined the children. Now, oh, does that beat all, said Amelia Bedelia. She went inside. Later, she called. Everybody come. All apples on the table. Apples came from everywhere. Amelia Bedelia put a stick in each one. Then she dipped them in the pot. Taffy apples, everyone shouted. Do you know what taffy is, girls? No. It's like a candy coating. And have kind of apples. Yeah, taffy is kind of like a candy coating. Or maybe like a sticky honey, sort of. Maybe sometime, Mama, will have something for you like that. Right, said Amelia Bedelia. Take one and go home. School is out. The children grabbed the apples. They crowded around Amelia Bedelia. Please, please teach us again, each one said. Amelia Bedelia said nothing. She looked at her kitchen and she shook her head. Mrs. Rogers walked in. Someone was with her. What happened, she said. Where are the children? Home, said Amelia Bedelia. Home, said Mrs. Rogers. But it's not time. It was for me, said Amelia Bedelia. This is Miss Reed, said Mrs. Rogers. She's the new teacher. She came to get the children. Then she will have to find them, said Amelia Bedelia. I'm plumb tired out. But, but, said Miss Reed. More taffy apples, called Mr. Rogers. Taffy apples, said Mrs. Rogers. Come on, Miss Reed. Amelia Bedelia put the taffy apples on the table, and they all sat down and ate. I'll let you teach any time, said Miss Reed, if you make taffy apples. Be glad to, said Amelia Bedelia. I do love children. The end. We're going to read. We're just reading. I'm going to do purple. Oh, you want to do purple? You have to do purple if we get to read another one. Because you did purple. Yeah. And then yeah, then your sister did red. You did purple. I didn't do purple. Okay, maybe you can do it again. The book you picked, Sissy, is a little golden book, old one, nice one called David and Goliath. David and Goliath. No Goliath and Dick. No David and Goliath. We're not going to argue. Mimi's going to read it. This is written by Barbara Shook Hazen, illustrated by Robert J. Lee. And it's a golden book. Western Publishing Company, 1974, but originally 1968. And this book, you know, was first in the Bible, wasn't it, girls? This story. Because it's a real story from the Bible. Once long ago, there lived a great giant named Goliath. Goliath of Gath was what he was sometimes called, for Gath was the name of the town where he was born. Goliath of Gath was the biggest giant that ever lived. His arms were as strong as iron bands, and he was almost as tall as a tree. He wore a helmet of gleaming brass upon his head and a coat of heavy mail on his body. The head of his spear weighed over 15 pounds, so just this pokey part alone weighed 15 pounds. That's a lot. It's like one of mommy's big bags of flour. Or three small bags. Wherever Goliath went, someone always went before him, carrying Goliath's shield. The Philistines, who did not believe in God, had set up a camp high on the mountaintop. There were many great warriors in the Philistine camp, but the greatest of all was their champion, Goliath of Gath. Down in the valley... The Israelites had set up their camp. 
The Israelites did believe in God, and they were willing to defend their belief, even though the Philistine warriors were much bigger and stronger. But alas, the Israelites had no champion. What does that mean? I don't know. They had no, like, big, strong winner type of guy. One that always beat, always won. Yeah. And when every morning and every evening for 40 long days, the giant came out and called, Why don't you send someone to fight me? There was no one to send. There was no one big enough or strong enough to fight Goliath. Now, in a town called Bethlehem, there lived a man named Jesse who had eight sons. Jesse. The the three oldest sons, or eldest sons, it says, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah, maybe Mimi doesn't say those right, had gone to the camp of the Israelites to help in the fight against the Philistines. The youngest son, David, stayed at home. His job was to feed his father's sheep in Bethlehem. One day, Jesse said to David, Take this corn and these ten loaves of bread to your brothers, and take these ten cheeses to the captain of their army. See how your brothers are, and bring me news of the battle. David got up early the next morning. He left the sheep with the keeper. He took the corn, the ten loaves of bread, and the ten cheeses, and he went to the Israelite camp. As his father, Jesse... very little. He does look young and little. As his father, Jesse, had asked him to do. When he got there, a battle between the two armies was about to begin. Quickly, David ran to where the warriors were lined up, ready for battle. He saw his brothers and greeted them. Just then, the giant Goliath came out again. Choose a man to fight me, he shouted. (laughs) If he fights with me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I kill him, then you will be our servants. The Israelite warriors were afraid, for they had no champion to fight Goliath for them. Just look at him, they cried. Look at the strength and the size of him. David saw how all the men of Israel fled. You know what fled means? Ran away. When they saw Goliath, then David asked, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? Take that out of your mouth, please, honey. The warriors answered, The man who kills... Okay, shh. The man who kills Goliath will be given great riches by Saul, the king of the Israelites. David's oldest brother, Eliab, was angry at David's question. Why did you come here? He asked David. Are the sheep alone in the wilderness? You are being naughty. You came here just to watch the battle. He glared at David. Abinadab and Shammah were angry at David too. David paid no attention to his brothers. He kept on asking questions about the giant Goliath. At last, King Saul heard about David. Bring the boy to me, said the king. David said to Saul, Once, when I kept my father's sheep, that means watched them, doesn't it, girls? Took care of them. There came a lion and a bear. They took a lamb from the flock I was tending. I went after the lion, said David. I struck him and took the lamb out of his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him and hit him again and killed him. I did the same thing with the bear, and so I will do with this Philistine, this giant Goliath of Gath, for he has defied the armies of God. What does that mean, defied the armies of God? Killed. No, it means like, excuse me, it means like said bad things, talked back about them, talked bad about them. For he has defied the armies of God, said David to King Saul. This is a long battle. Yeah, it's long, but it's almost over. 
After this, we'll get a drink. The Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, and he will deliver me from the Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Saul put his own kingly armor on David. He put his own brass helmet on David's head. He put his own coat of mail on David's back. Then Saul gave David his own sword. But David said, I cannot go to battle wearing these. I'm not used to them. So David took off Saul's kingly armor and picked up his own shepherd's staff. He carefully chose five smooth stones from the brook and he put them in his shepherd's bag. Then he took his sling in his hand and he went to face the mighty Goliath. When Goliath saw that his enemy was only a boy, he laughed scornfully. Am I a dog, Goliath asked, that you think you can beat me with a stick? David said, you fight with a sword and spear and a shield. I fight in the name of the Lord. God will deliver you into my hand this day. Hearing this, Goliath went to meet David and David went to meet the giant. David took a stone out of his shepherd's bag. Yeah. Whirling the stone in his sling, he hurled the stone at Goliath and hit him in the middle of his forehead. The great giant fell dead, face down on the ground. The frightened Philistine army turned and fled in panic. What does that mean, fled in panic? They might have cried, but they definitely ran away scared. Ran away scared. So, long ago, the shepherd boy David killed the great Goliath with a sling and a stone and a mighty belief in God. The end.